Welcome everyone, you're listening to Save Me an Isle Seat, the show that talks about musicals in an understandable and relatable way. I'm Katie, and I'm joined by my fellow musical enthusiasts, Amber and Kylie. Hey! Also joining us is our musical newbie, Matt. Hello! <laughs> yep. I was wondering why you were staring at me weird. <laughs> <laughs> he was prepared. <laughs> this week we have an exciting episode when we are covering Hamilton! Da-da-da. Who? Uh, you know that one guy. What? Alexander <laughs> Hamilton? <laughs> yes. His name is Alexander Hamilton. Yes. And so yes. And today we are going to learn about him. Um, okay, so listen. I'm excited about Hamilton, you guys. And if I was any more extra about this musical, I would be wrapping this podcast. But I'm not cool like that. Yikes. So, <laughs> we're gonna not do that. So, Hamilton. The music lyrics and book were written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, as I'm sure many know, uh, and he's also known for things like Moana and In the Heights. Hamilton was inspired by the biography written by Ron Chernow. Basically, Miranda read it and he was like, huh, this could be a musical. And so, because I guess that's how that works. And he started the Hamilton mixtape, which he performed some of at the White House at like a poetry reading thing. And it just exploded from there. The show heavily features hip-hop, R&B, pop, and soul, mixed with traditional show tunes, which is very interesting. And the musical is almost entirely sung and rapped through, which is nice because you can pretty much get the whole story from the soundtrack if you're not able to go see it. That being said, it is now on Disney+, Plus, so watch it if you can. And let's also recognize that making musicals more accessible to the general public is necessary. Please, I want to see more very things. Very much agree. <laughs> Yeah, like, this is going to be our second thing that's, like, widely available to watch, because we did Shrek the Musical. Mm-hmm. And yeah. granted, it's a little bit more of a meme. It's still out there for people to watch for free. For now. And it's pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So that's so, so, Go so Go watch necessary. Donkey's face be, be dumb. <laughs> so basically, Hamilton casts actors of color as the founding fathers and other historical figures, According to Miranda, this was because the cast looks like America looks now. So it was a way to make history more contemporary. Yes, there are parts of Hamilton that are problematic. Recognize that. You know, you shouldn't be romanticizing and idolizing our founding fathers. They were kind of terrible people. Mm -hmm. Yes, they joke about slavery a lot in this when historically we know that they had slaves. So please be critical of everything around you, but especially popular pieces of media like this. But at the same time, we do need to recognize that this musical did a lot to bring hip-hop styling to the very, like, upper-class world that is Broadway. Yeah. And it also does a lot to represent talents of actors and dancers and other people of color. Also, a lot of people do complain about Lin-Manuel Miranda. There's, I don't know, the internet's weird. So, like, yes, he has a tendency to put himself and his friends into all of his shows. I mean, I'd do that too, let's be real. Uh-huh. I mean, that's what Adam Sandler has made his whole career out of. <laughs> also true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and some say that he's not a great singer, but you have to admit he's got one hell of a brain because this stuff is just fantastic. And also he's like a total theater fanboy online. So it's cute. <laughs> so Hamilton received critical acclaim and it was on Off-Broadway at the Public Theater in February 2015. Sold out won eight Drama Desk Awards. Then it was at the Richard Rogers Theater on August 2015. And in 2016, at the Tony Awards, it won 11, including Best Musical. 
It also won the 2016 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. The cast album also won a Grammy, which is super cool. Nice. It was in Chicago in September 2016. Then it went to the West End in December 2017, where it won seven Olivier Awards. And then it had a U.S. national tour for the first one in March 2017, went on a second one in February 2018, and then went on a third one in January 2019, which also featured a three-week engagement in Puerto Rico. The show was halted as of March 2020 because of COVID, so who knows when it shall be performed again. Supposedly, performances in Hamburg, Germany and Sydney, Australia are in the works. Hamilton currently holds the record for the most Tony Award nominations, 16, but is second highest in wins at 11 over 12 for the producers. Hmm. Isn't there some kind of achievement to get, like, a Tony, a Grammy, an Academy Award? Probably. There's something else, right? Yeah, there's a thing for getting, like, all of them. He's pretty close, just off of Hamilton. Uh, yeah. So basically, the show has been breaking records since it started, and it's brought in, like, many millions of dollars. Uh, however, the show did utilize a ticket lottery, like we've talked about a few episodes ago. Uh, Miranda also set up something called Ham for Ham, which was a series of outdoor, perf- like, mini-performances outside the theater before huh. shows. And it kind of followed a philosophy um, that's actually very, like, Latino in nature um, from his past uh that if if the people won't come to the theater we'll take the theater to the people neat so we are going off of the broadway cast recording which is on our spotify very notable cast of course including renee elise goldsberry leslie odom jr and david diggs who is amazing and if you didn't catch it because i didn't at first uh jonathan groff plays the king he plays Kristoff in frozen and he was also jesse st james in glee and you also can't forget the adorable Anthony Ramos and Jasmine Cephas Jones, who actually got together during production and are now engaged. <laughs> so cute. So that's uh, Philip and uh, Peggy, or Maria. Okay. They're adorable. So a couple of random one-offs in the cast. Uh, Taryn Killam, who you, you might recognize from SNL, played the king for a bit. Also, Wayne Brady. <gasps> yes, the Wayne Brady from Lake. <laughs> Whose line is it anyway? Played Aaron Burr. Really? That's and, cool. And now I, I can, yeah. see, I can see him doing that. Mm-hmm. He's great. I love Wayne Brady. But like we said, the, the entire show is pretty much the soundtrack. There is one short song slash scene that is not on the soundtrack, and we will point that out when we get to it. It was kept out for emotional impact that could be experienced more fully on stage. And of course, our the whole album is on our Spotify, which I will link in the show notes. There also exists the Hamilton mixtape, which is a bunch of remixes and covers. There is also the, the Hamilton Instrumentals, which is just the recording without the vocals, as well as Hamiltoons and Hamil Drops, which are just more sing-alongs and other extra songs that didn't make it to the stage. There is even the Hamilton Polka by Weird Al. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Listen, it's Weird Al. <laughs> also, The Haunting of Lin-Manuel Miranda, a play written by Ishmael Reed that critiques Hamilton's historical inaccuracies. Interesting. Also, Hamilton, The Revolution, a book detailing Hamilton's journey from an idea to a successful Broadway musical. Then also, Hamilton's America, a documentary about the creation of the show and has lots of interviews with both cast as well as his actual historians. And then also, <laughs> Hamilton, The Exhibition, an interactive museum focused on the history of Alexander Hamilton as well as the musical. Then, of course, there's parodies, always. Jeb, the musical, featuring Jeb Bush instead of Hamilton. 
Yikes. And Spamilton, which is characters of Broadway stars. So this isn't just a musical. This is like a worldwide phenomenon. Like this is just everywhere. So the critics' response, you know, people said that the music was exhilarating and that the lyrics and dialogue really fit the characters. One quote, in the end, the narrative of one man's story becomes the collective narrative of a nation. Uh, however, the, na- the numbers were also called exposition-heavy lessons, which is fair, and that the show has over-busy staging. Although even Obama said that liking Hamilton was the only thing that him and Dick Cheney agreed on. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Rotten Tomatoes did give the show a 99%. Nice. nice. So, yep. It's pretty cool. And yes, of course, we did get together and watch this, of course, on Disney Plus. And we had a little mini party uh, over it. And we even had the mama to see it. So it is mama approved. Big old thumbs up from her. And we had a fantastic time. But we'll uh, go over what we felt about the show later, of course. So let's go ahead and jump into act one. Woo! 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 We're all wooing. We start off with the song Alexander Hamilton, which of course introduces Hamilton to all of us. So Hamilton had a pretty hard life from birth. He was an illegitimate child. His mom raised him until she passed. He lived with his cousin until his cousin committed suicide. And then he had to take care of himself. He had to get a job, get his own education. And so the full company helps to sing this song until Hamilton is actually introduced. And so he arrives in New York in 1776. A little bit of inaccuracy historically, but it's fine. There's quite a bit of that peppered in this musical. But he meets Aaron Burr, John Lawrence, Marquis de Lafayette, and Hercules Mulligan in the song Aaron Burr, Sir. So we see Hamilton and Burr immediately pretty much set up as foils. So they're both orphans. They're both smart and educated. They're both interested in the war. And yet you've got one who likes to speak loud and he likes to hurry up and act fast. And then the other likes to take things slow, think them through, not give strong opinions, things like that. So two very different people. And so the guys are all drinking together in a tavern and they're like rapping together. And Hamilton impresses him with his, his power of speech. He talks about revolution and his own martyrdom and the legacy he plans to leave behind. He's all about his legacy. And so he sings about that in My Shot. This song also features little intros to each of the squad members. So Lafayette is French, of course, and he wants the monarchy to go to what to go away. Mulligan works as a tailor, but he wants to join the rebellion. And Lawrence is ardently anti-slavery and anti-racism, so that's kind of his main focus. And so in the end of the song, Hamilton actually kind of foreshadows his own death, including the phrase, so he says, seven feet ahead of me. And fun fact, he ended up having seven children. The duel that he died at was at like 7 a.m. Bunch of stuff. Uh, so, ooh, spooky. Oh. And so the guys kind of all talk about their their goals for the revolution and they're all excitement, excited and just like ready to die for the cause. And so that ends us with the song, The Story of Tonight. And then we meet the Skylar sisters, Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy. And they are going into town to find suitors. And the song is The Skylar Sisters. Burr flirts with Angelica, but she shoves him away. They take a look around them and recognize the revolution is happening. This is where we get the badass line, When I meet Thomas Jefferson, I'm compel him to include women in the sequel. Which I love. Work! (laughs) 
This song was actually added in after other songs sung by the girls as kind of an introduction to them, a place to see them not as romantic entities to the main male cast, but as their own strong, educated, wealthy women, which needs to be seen more in everything. (laughs) Samuel Seabury tries to warn everyone about Congress and talks about how the violence of revolution is not a solution. But Hamilton disagrees and counters his arguments. He actually jumps up onto the soapbox with him, and they rap over each other, making their points. The song is Farmer Refuted. King George insists that he's in charge and that the Americans are just acting out. It's got a very creepy, you-can-have-your-tantrum-but-you-can't-leave-me feel. He's like, if you don't come back to me, you know, I'll just kill your friends and family. So that's cool. Yeah. The song is You'll Be Back. Probably one of the songs that gets stuck in Matt's head the most. It's... For the sure. best side character in this entire <laughs> show. He just has his own little moments of being a huge weirdo and dork. And it's great. It is great. But you hate him. But you like him. <laughs> but you love him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Also an interesting note that um, King George always sings by himself, which is kind of a the monarchy in action. This song is actually reminiscent of the Beatles, as per Miranda, giving it a British old school vibe. He actually wrote this song while he was on his honeymoon and was also inspired by a, by a conversation with Hugh Laurie, who improved Aw, You'll Be Back as a King George impression. Interesting. Yeah. Then we move on to the New York Harbor, which is filled with British troops. Hamilton, once again, brings up how he is willing to die for his country. Then they introduce George Washington as the one in command. Washington complains about how they were outnumbered in the war, and then he code-switches, starts talking less sophisticatedly, puts down his guard, and expresses that he is really worried about the war, and that he's not the right man for the job. Washington only really raps in the musical when he is frustrated. He admits that he needs help, so Hamilton accepts a position as George Washington's right-hand man. Hamilton then gathers his crew to help Lafayette, Mulligans, and Lawrence in the song Right-Hand Man. So next up we have a ball, of course. Always gotta have a party. So this one is thrown by Philip Schuyler, and the song is A Winter's Ball. And the guys kind of set out to meet the ladies. Hamilton is really shown off in the song as a ladies' man. And there's even this part where he, like, struts across the stage and kind of, like, eyes all the people in the front row of the audience and, like, winks at them. Oh. Although, fun fact, historically, Aaron Burr was actually more promiscuous than Hamilton was. And there actually exists an anonymously published book called The Amorous Adventures of Aaron Burr which details several of his alleged <laughs> sexual conquests. Yikes. Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> no. I don't know. <laughs> we don't need I don't, that. I don't need that. No. <laughs> so Eliza sees and pretty much immediately falls for Alexander. He's got the prettiest eyes, and she's just like, oh my gosh. But even as she sings, she kind of brings herself down. Uh, so she tends to sing in this way where she she's not trying to aim for the spotlight, and she's you know, she's not really wanting to be center of attention. She's literally helpless here. And so the song is called Helpless. But the two meet and they start writing letters back and forth. Eventually he asks for her hand. He meets with her father and they marry, of course. So we get a cute little wedding scene on stage. And the song ends with a throwback to the first song of the show where the company sings in New York, you can be a new man. So he's, he's growing up and changing. One thing you will notice about the musical is that Eliza doesn't rap. She always sings, and she's one of the only ones that is that way. And Hamilton kind of always rushes through life, right? So he raps, and he always speaks fast. 
Whereas Eliza's always the one telling him to take breaks and takes his time. So she takes that time when she sings. And she's also alive the longest. She's alive up to the very end of the show. And so this is about her having like the most time overall throughout the show. And so it's her being able to tell her story and her narrative, which is very interesting. The next song, however, kind of turns everything on its head. So we have this wedding scene and the maid of honor, who's Angelica, is kind of giving a toast to the bride and groom. But then everyone, everything rewinds and the whole stage like spins around and everyone reverses their movements, which is amazing. Then she remembers her perspective of the events of the previous songs. And so this really reinforces the theme that, you know, the the interpretation of events depends on who's telling your story. Uh, So from her telling of it, uh, she had feelings for Hamilton. She met him first and she really liked him. She felt that he was like as smart and witty as she was and they were on the same level. But then she kind of realized that her sister liked him too. And so she's like, I can't get in the way of my sister. And so she kind of convinces herself that he's not a good choice for her and that she you know, isn't meant for that kind of marriage. She's meant to marry better, but she recognizes that she won't be completely satisfied without him in her life. And the song is satisfied. It's one of my favorites. Mine too. You're going to be saying that about every song. Listen, this whole musical is my favorite. It's fine. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) I can sing it at all times. Anyway, uh, so after the wedding, the guys are all congratulating Hamilton because they're like, good job, bro. You did it. You got married. Uh, Even though historically he's the last one of the group to get married, but it's fine. So they all raise a glass to freedom like a previous song. But now it's uh, that freedom is something he will never see again because he's married. And then Burr actually congratulates him on his position with Washington as his right hand man. And so this is the story of tonight. Reprise. And so they're all, like, drinking and hanging out, and Hamilton's drunk, of course. But he admits that he would rather be on the battlefield than behind a desk, which, you know, Burr understands. But Burr also admits, after a bit of gossip from Lawrence, that he's having an affair with a woman who is married to a British officer. And so this is my actual favorite song (laughs) in this musical. My friends will know this because I shouted excitedly when we watched it. So... Burr sings about his life and about how his career is always kind of like one step behind Hamilton's because he's being more cautious about things and he believes that that strategy is better. Whereas Hamilton just kind of rushes into things and he's overzealous and he's too much. And so Burr sings that life, death, and love don't discriminate between sinners and saints. And it's just like such a powerful song. So that's wait for it. Uh, And even Lynn Manuel Miranda admitted that this is one of the best songs that he's ever written in his entire life. Nice. I believe it. I understood why it was your favorite. So after this, the war gets worse. They don't have food or equipment, etc. They decide to enact small, quick raids rather than getting stuck in open battle. And the song is Stay Alive. Still, Washington refuses to give Hamilton a command to lead. Instead, Charles Lee becomes the general, but he is terrible at it and also has a tendency to insult Washington. Lawrence ends up dueling him. And here we get a super powerful song listing out the 10 steps to a duel, like having a second, having a doctor on site, picking the right location for the duel, and finally taking the 10 paces before turning to fire. He injures Lee, who yields. And this is the song 10 Duel Commandments. Washington is angry about the duel. He's a very diplomatic guy, and he talks about how the war is hard enough without infighting. And the two argue, and eventually he sends Hamilton home. And the song is Meet Me Inside. And fun fact, 
the music shifts to a 7-8 time signature between the shot and Washington entering, which is smooth, but is just slightly off-kilter enough to disturb listeners. Hamilton gets home and realizes that Eliza is pregnant with their first child. She sings about how lucky they are to be alive and together, and then asks Hamilton to slow down and be there for their family. She says they don't need money or fancy things, she just wants them to be together. Ultimately, she just wants her and their life together to be enough for him. Although, I'm sure you can tell that it probably won't be. And the song is, uh, that would be enough. Once again, we start off with Aaron Burr narrating, as he does in most of the songs in this musical. Uh, And he states that the reason that the war was won, even though it hasn't been won yet, but we're almost there, was because of America's favorite fighting Frenchman. Uh, So he introduces Lafayette to the stage. So Lafayette convinces France to help with the war and kind of brings that info to the stage with some amazingly fast rapping. Yes. And this also goes to show Lafayette's evolution from like a weak English speaker, because he was having trouble with words in the beginning of the show, to being the most powerful now. And so this is the the song Guns and Ships. Um, And also in the song, he convinces Washington to bring Hamilton back into the fold so that they are prepared to win this war. Uh, And this is the fastest song and the fastest paced musical theater production of all time. Mm. And is arguably the fastest song ever, matched only by Not Getting Married Today, which is in company. Interesting. Yes. So you might have to listen to it a few times to understand what's going on. (laughs) Um, But it's a fantastic song. But it's really cool. I guess it makes uh, auditioning for uh, that position very scary. Mm-hmm. Because you have to get that one down. You, yeah. you have to nail that part. Mm-hmm. Well, it actually, it, that song originally only had like one chunk of rapping. And then Hamilton, or Hamilton, yeah. Miranda realized that David Diggs was just like amazing at rapping. And so he added more chunks and made it harder. <laughs> like, because he was so good at it. Yeah. I gotta challenge you, bro. I appreciate so, like, that. <laughs> amazing. And and say, David Diggs actually, like, has his own rapping group. So, like, that's, that's cool. what he does. I don't know. It's amazing. Anyway. Uh, so, of course, Hamilton doesn't refuse and comes back and is as voracious as ever. Even as Washington is like, dude, you gotta calm down. You gotta be careful. Like, <laughs> can't be rash here. Washington kind of tells him of his own past back when... You got a family now. Right. Back when Washington himself was all about glory and it didn't work out for him. And so, like, you gotta be careful, dude. And so this is the song, History Has Its Eyes on You. At the siege of Yorktown, uh, Hamilton meets up with Lafayette to take down the British. There's a particularly powerful phrase where they high-five and say, Immigrants, we get the job done. And they actually had to add a few bars of music in there to give room for audience applause. Because the applause was covering up the next lines of the song. (laughs) Hamilton muses about winning the war, but actually, for once, he's starting to slow down a little bit and realize that he shouldn't be a martyr because uh, he's got Eliza and his son at home waiting for him, and so he has something to get back to. He introduces his other friends into the action as well, so Lawrence is working in South Carolina, Lafayette is helping in Chesapeake Bay, and Mulligan has been a sp- like working as a spy this whole time to get information on the British, and so now he's back to help. So together, they trap the British against the water, and eventually someone waves a white handkerchief and they win the war. And this is just like an amazing piece on stage because there's dancers and like for a while they move around with guns like during the war. And then eventually they're like holding furniture like upside down, moving it around because the song's called Yorktown, The World Turned Upside Down. And so like 
they just like move everything around and oh god it's super cool it's like such a crescendo of action so king george comes back on stage and is like yo what what is happening like yeah you did it i guess but what are you gonna do now he definitely doesn't think they have what it takes to run a country on their own but eventually gives in and is like, no, good luck, I'm not going to help you anymore. The song is What Comes Next. Burr eventually married Theodosia after her husband died, and together they have a daughter, Theodosia, and Hamilton has a son, Philip. They sing about how their children are going to grow up alongside this nation that they've now brought into being. They basically sing about being proud dads, smiling at their children, and always protecting them. Neither of them grew up with a great father figure, but they promised to be better. They all state, you'll blow us all away, which may or may not be foreshadowing. Oh my god. This also becomes the main thing the two have in common, their love for their children. And the song is Dear Theodosia. And, <laughs> fun fact, Miranda wrote this to his dog. Aww. <laughs> her babe. He didn't have any children yet, but he had a dog. That's adorable. It works. It does. So Hamilton receives word that Lawrence died in battle through a letter from his family, and he is heartbroken. The song is Tomorrow There'll Be More of Us, and this is the song that is not on the soundtrack. So it's like a big shocker when you watch it on stage. After the war, both Hamilton and Burr go off to New York to be lawyers. The two even make history on the Levy Weeks case, which was the earliest recorded murder trial in U.S. history. Burr complains about Hamilton always acting like the smartest in the room and asks, why do you write like you're running out of time? Hamilton goes to the Constitutional Convention, where he tried to establish a new form of government, which was honestly pretty extreme, and no one really liked it. <laughs> the original purpose of the convention was to revise the Articles of Confederation. They came out with the Constitution. Hamilton then writes the Federalist Papers to defend the new Constitution with James Madison and John Jay and is selected as the Secretary of Treasury by Washington. Eliza begs Hamilton to stop and slow down and enjoy life with her, but he doesn't really listen and it leaves her feeling helpless. During this song, we also see how Angelica moved to London with her new husband. Basically, this is the big classic act finale song where everything is happening at once. And this is called an all-skate, where individuals are singing different parts that all come from different songs. Which I didn't know until now. And somehow still just work together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, It sounds great. Yes. So weird. And that song is nonstop. Which brings us to intermission. ba ba ba. Woo! So, guys, first act, a lot of information. How do you feel about it? This is a cool show. Mm-hmm. It's a great show. There's a lot of info, like, being thrown at you. But. But it's real good. Mm-hmm. I really started liking it right once I heard Helpless, and then I liked it from that part on more. Mm-hmm. I think I liked those songs the most, like, everything after Helpless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pretty great soundtrack. There are a couple of them that I'm like, I could take or leave, but mm-hmm. most of them are really good. Yeah, some of them are just kind of like characters talking to each other, but mm-hmm. then when they get to like the song songs, it's like, BAM! <laughs> right. Yeah, it's definitely all the little connections that just like, wow me. Yeah. One thing I, I really like is like, the main core set doesn't change. You get, like, the same background for the entire show, but they constantly change the lighting and move props in very quickly to have it all feel very different Mm -hmm. without really changing up the set too much. Yeah, I think their their use of minimalism is very impactful. 
you know, especially just from a theater standpoint, like it's got to be really nice for them. <laughs> but yeah. it looks really good, even while being so small, technically. We also got like these individual rotating pieces in the center of the stage, so characters mm -hmm. can kind of be like walking opposite of each other or, or whatnot to give it more Depth. of a yeah bigger feel yeah than what it actually is. Yeah, it's super neat. I, I really Speaking like how they did that. Speaking of the revolving stage, mm -hmm. Kylie, will you give us our theater fact? Oh yeah. So the revolving stage, which is used heavily in this show, was invented for the. Kabuki Theater in Japan in the 18th century, and it was introduced into Western Theater in Munich in 1896. Wow, that's awesome, because it's used in a lot of shows. I didn't even, like, consider that it had been made elsewhere yeah. for, for, like, a different form of entertainment. I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah. That's super cool. I mean, in the grand retrospect of, like, theater, it's not that old. Yeah, I but mean... It's still yeah. yeah, that's that's old. Yeah, not for theater itself. Yeah, but we've technically had it for quite a, for our history of theater almost. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, it's, they they use it a lot and they use it very well. Mm -hmm. Like when they when they have the duels, they're like just spinning around mm -hmm. in place on these discs. It's super neat. It's it's very very cool. I think I read something about how the cast learned the choreography like off stage right and they basically had to relearn it when they got on stage oops because of the giant spinning <laughs> yeah that's got to be confusing can you imagine how dizzy it would oh. be as as far as like the the sets and props uh, katie and i actually found a couple videos which is um adam from mythbusters fame and other sciencey stuff mm -hmm. goes to a theater in California? I think so. And essentially just gets free reign to like check out all the props and stage stuff with their prop master and just has like a really cool time. So he nerds it, out. It's a very like afterwards go watch it because then you'll see like all the different tables and stuff that they do in the show. They actually have them like suspended in the air and lower them stuff. whenever they're ready to go on stage. It's really cool. Do recommend. Nice. So yeah, that was the first act, and it, we're only just getting into it. Like, we do see very large chunks of Hamilton's life, like, all technically smushed together, but it never felt rushed to me. Like, it, it I think it was paced well. Like, they took out a lot of the boring parts. <laughs> well, there's just, like, so much happening all the uh -huh. time in this show, like... On, like once intermission like hits, you're like, okay, finally I can like take a moment to collect myself because they're just kind of <laughs> slamming <laughs> you with, with so much stuff because they gotta fit in so much story. Like, yeah, an entire act one is the entire Revolutionary War. Like, yeah. that's a lot to <laughs> process and yeah, stick in there. But they did it. They did it very well. Yeah, and there's oh, well, and there's so much that like wasn't in the show. Um, like, there were songs that, of, like, other battles and stuff in the war that, you know, Miranda had to cut out. And, and again, one of the biggest critiques of the show is that the, like, historically, it's very wrong. Um, and just that, like, the little timelines and, like, little things here and there. Like, overall, it's correct. But, like, there's a lot of little timeline things here and there that are incorrect. And so that's where 
you know, it's hard too, because like you want to represent all these things on stage and all these characters and you have to find a way to make it work and you have to take that bit of creative license. Yeah. Um, so I think Miranda did it well. It's just, it's clearly very difficult. Yeah, it, it might not be all historically accurate, but it is all entertaining. Yeah, and, and, it, and it does make you curious to find out the real information, you know? Mm-hmm. I Like, I, was, I didn't really know anything about Alexander Hamilton, except, you know, he was the, the Secretary of Treasury. Yeah. That's, like, really all I knew. And I, I never would have thought that, like, the style of rap that they chose would work so well with the stage production, mm-hmm. but man, did they kill it. Yeah. When I first, like, heard about it, I didn't know if I would like it. And then I heard a couple things. I was like, oh, nope, I love it. <laughs> and then yep, you buy the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Then you just let it consume your soul, uh-huh. like Amber. <laughs> and then you just get random yep. characters' voices in your head as you're trying to work. Yeah. Also, I don't know if it was, like, an accident or intentional, but, like, the later scenes with the king, I think even, like, up to, like, the second appearance of him, like, when he sings in the Disney Plus version, like, there's, like, some spittle and stuff that, like, shoots oh. out, and it just makes him look, like, extra insane. <laughs> and it's so funny. I actually have a fact about that. Yeah. He did an interview over the spit, because it's on Disney Plus, and he's like, I don't know what it is. That happens in any role I do ever. That's just, that's just me. Oh. That's just how I do. Over salivating glands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... At one of his shows, that he did, I don't remember which one, he was like, we literally had to tell the first row audience, like, <laughs> to be <laughs> to be aware of it, because it was a, I just spit when I sing. It's just, it's just nothing I've tried to stop. <laughs> okay, well, it added to the extra crazy mm-hmm. factor that, like, the king That's true. is supposed to give off, so I, I thought it was hilarious. It just worked. And, yeah. and the crazy king eyes, too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he was a good pick for that mm-hmm. part. Definitely. I was going to say, as far as pretty sure that hold on let me find the chart so i'm not misspeaking here but if i'm correct i'm pretty sure brian darcy james has also played the king yes he has and so he was who played shrek in the musical oh interesting yeah so that was act one and let's jump into act two huh So, starting us off in Act 2, it is important to note that some of the actors from Act 1, so those that played Lafayette, Mulligans, Lawrence, and Peggy, are actually playing different characters here in Act 2. So, it's a little easier to catch when you watch it, because they introduce them. It's a little harder to tell, listening. But, yeah, so that's a thing. So, it's 1789, and Aaron Burr is back, narrating with his usual flair, and announcing Thomas Jefferson, who has returned from France, Uh, So he's played by the same actor as Lafayette, very dynamic on stage. And so he sings the song, What Did I Miss? And so he talks about how he's been helping with the French Revolution, but now he's back in the U.S. Uh, He gets a letter from Washington asking him to be the Secretary of State, so then he goes to New York. He meets up with James Madison, who's played by the same actor as Mulligans in the first act. And Madison warns him about Hamilton and his new financial plan for the country and how it's this terrible thing and they have to rise up against it. So. Jefferson goes to meet Hamilton and Washington. Uh, Hamilton actually introduces himself using the tune of his own introductory song instead of the tune of the song that's currently playing, which kind of shows that he's just like unapologetically himself and he prefers to tell his own story instead of fitting into someone else's. Pretty interesting there. 
Washington introduces us to another cabinet, to a cabinet meeting. He hands out microphones and it becomes a rap battle. <laughs> that was the most surprising thing, I think. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, so Jefferson and Hamilton are there to debate Hamilton's financial proposals while also just straight up ripping on each other, because why not? Hamilton wants the federal government to assume states' debts during the war and kind of create one giant bank over everything, whereas Jefferson doesn't think that having that centralized government is beneficial, especially because he's from the South and they don't have as much debt as the North does. And this is the cabinet battle number one. So this song, like I said, it's a rap battle. It's fantastic. They Mm -hmm. really just, like, yell at each other. It's great. (laughs) It's fantastic. Uh, And then... Washington kind of puts stop to it, gets, it gets a little too extreme, and he warns Hamilton to be more careful with what he's saying, because at the end of the day, he needs the approval from Congress to get his motion passed, and he's not going to do that with all this, like, fancy speech. But Hamilton's frustrated that people don't see, like, his vision, and he wants stuff done now instead of having to wait for it, which is just Hamilton. Then we switch scenes a little bit, and we get introduced to Philip, uh, who is Hamilton's son. He's nine years old. Ironically enough, he's played by Lawrence in the first act. This is a grown man on stage playing a nine-year-old. <laughs> it's only for one scene. Uh, it's yeah, it's still weird. Yeah. But it's still a little weird. <laughs> yeah. But he's learning to play piano with his mom, and she's teaching him how to count in French, and it's this cute little scene. And uh, Meanwhile, Hamilton is at his desk, and he's exchanging letters with Angelica, and they're a little flirty. Aww. Eventually, Philip... Like, kind of calls his dad out, and he shows off his rapping skills, which is super cute. <laughs> Eliza, like, beatboxes while he raps. <laughs> um, and then she, of course, asks Hamilton to take a break, you know, slow down for the summer, you know, go upstate with her and her family, including Angelica, who is uh, back in the U.S. for the summer. But, of course, Hamilton's like, no, I gotta finish my work. And so he stays home. And that's the song, Take a Break, which, of course, he's bad at doing. So, of course, Hamilton is stressed, and he's alone, and, of course, he begins an affair. Of course. Yeah, sure. Because that's the solution to all of his problems. <laughs> so this woman named Mariah Reynolds, who is the same actress as Peggy from the first act, uh, she kind of comes to him asking for help. So her husband's abusive, and she's, you know, getting away from him, but she needs money. And so he offers her some, and the story could have ended there, but... but- <laughs> he somehow ended up in bed with her. Yeah, you know how that and goes. And so the song is "Say No to This." So he's like asking for like for some power within himself to say no, and yet he's unable to do so. Uh, and so he sounds a little, a little regretful lame. as he sings, but he keeps doing the affair, and they do this for like a year or something. And then Mariah si- Mariah sings about being helpless, which, if you remember, was Eliza's song in the first act. So we got some parallels there uh, and then to make matters worse mariah's husband actually ends up blackmailing hamilton and lets him continue the affair with her as long as he gets paid the husband becomes the pimp yes <laughs> basically yeah that's a little messed up a little bit so hamilton jefferson and james madison meet to create the compromise of 1790 over a private dinner Jefferson and Madison end up backing Hamilton's financial plan, and in return, the country's capital gets moved to D.C. Burr is envious that he isn't involved and that Hamilton seems so powerful, and the song is The Room Where It Happens, which is probably my favorite Mm -hmm. song. 
<laughs> gets stuck in my head constantly. It's like smooth and jazzy. It's a good song. Yeah. I enjoy it. It's a very good song. And this piece is really interesting historically because no one actually knows how the deal went down. There's no record of the details, only the results. So the song is from the perspective of Burr, who doesn't know what is happening either, which is a little shady. <laughs> so Burr switches political parties and defeats Philip Schuyler for a Senate seat. Hamilton confronts him about it, but Burr doesn't think he did anything wrong, and the song is Schuyler defeated. Which is pretty shady, just to switch parties to get more votes. Just so you can win. Right. Yeah. A loser. Bit of a shyster. But they do that now <laughs> anyway, so... Yeah. <laughs> oh, too soon. <laughs> so in another cabinet meeting slash rap battle, Jefferson and Hamilton argue again. Uh, this time it's over whether or not to help France in their current conflict with Britain. Jefferson argues that they should because they promised back during the Revolutionary War that they would help whenever France had its own war. But Hamilton is like, mm, Nah, that's a little too risky for us. Like, we're not ready for that. We don't have to hold, hold that promise that we made. And so this is cabinet battle number two. And Washington actually ends up siding with Hamilton. And so they decide to stay neutral and out of it. And I, I thought that one was interesting because Hamilton's argument is like, we made a promise to someone who's dead. So like, the promise is gone. And I was like, oh, you know, he's kind of got a point there. <laughs> <laughs> if only all like debates were rap battles. Yes, if I would only. watch that. make everything so much more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but Je Jefferson, didn't he also put in there and was like, your friend Lafayette's like over there right now. Mm -hmm. Like, Why aren't you helping him? Yeah, yeah, why aren't you there to help out Did a friend? Did you forget about him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. So there's some there's some hard disses in there. It's not just like, oh, you're stinky. <laughs> like You're a poo-poo head. <laughs> you're stinky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely like a really close call there. Yeah. But of course, Washington is already friends with Hamilton, so that probably helped. Mm hmm Which, of course, is the main problem that comes up in the next song. So the next song is called Washington on Your Side. Basically, Jefferson, Madison, and Burr all end up on stage together, and they realize that, like, Hamilton has Washington by his side. So that kind of makes them untouchable, because when you've got the president as your friend, like, what can you do? Yeah. Uh, so they realize that they have to find some dirt to dig up on him. And they all kind of have their own reasons for disliking him. They've all had their own arguments with him, but they recognize together the problematic things he's done and that they have to do something. And they actually represent the Southern Democratic Republican Party, whereas Hamilton represents the Federalist Party. So they're just very different. The, the tone of, of that song gets stuck in my head a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we move over to Washington, uh, who's telling Hamilton that he, so he's going to retire from the presidency. Uh, Hamilton, of course, rebuffs him and is like, why, why'd you do that? Like, you're in a position of power. Why would you give that up? But Washington has realized that he's reached a point where he's done pretty much all he can for his country. And he needs to take a step back and let the country grow without relying on him. And he needs to teach them how to say goodbye, as is the line of the song. And so eventually Hamilton ends up assisting him in writing a farewell address. And the song is called One Last Time. And the song itself actually contains part of Washington's actual address. Uh, they, like, quote it together because Miranda wasn't just going to butcher it and put it in a song. He felt right. that it was best to actually quote it in there. It makes the song a little heavy to listen to, I think, but interesting historically. Yeah, that's true. Uh, pretty accurate there. So King George comes back again. 
It's like, <laughs> like, dudes, like, you can't just quit being in charge. Like, I'm a king, I know that. And the song is, I know him. Someone comes up and whispers in his ear, telling him who the next president will be. He realizes that he knows John Adams, and he laughs about him as president. Says that they're going to eat him alive. <laughs> John Adams becomes the second president of the U.S. and fires Hamilton. In response, Hamilton goes off on him and publishes a critique, basically just calling him a motherfucker. Thanks for that little bit, Amber. <laughs> That's literally the line in the song. Just saying. <laughs> he is beeped out, though, in the song. It is beeped out. Not here. <laughs> <laughs> Put a beep over it. It's fine. But it's it's more than just Hamilton just calling him names. Like, Hamilton no, he dishes out an actual his opinions. Truth. Yeah, truth yeah. opinion link. So, so basically, uh, wash- without Washington, though, holding him back, he has started to become the no-holds-barred Hamilton. The song is the Adams administration. Jefferson, Madison, and Burr go to Hamilton. They think he is embezzling go- government funds because they found check stubs that seem out of place. But Hamilton doesn't want to be seen as a fraud. He hasn't stolen any money. He goes a step further and shows them records of the payments and exactly where they went, which ends up revealing to them that he's having an affair, and that's where his money was going. But they promise not to tell anyone else, and the song is We Know. And, fun fact, he paid out about $1,000, which, uh, for today's inflation, is about $25,000. That's an insane price for an affair. Uh (laughs) Also, props to the the rest of the the acting on on that scene, because, like, when Hamilton starts going into what he's actually doing, he's, like, very matter-of-fact and, like, no, I'm doing this. And they're like, oh, wait, you're going to tell us? Oh, it was an affair? Oh, God. Like, <laughs> what? My dude. <laughs> Jesus, homie. I like when they're reading the letter and then Jefferson's like, what? When they get to. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. I love his little quips. They definitely had a lot of fun Yeah. On, on stage. Like, the chemistry between those four are very, very entertaining. Yeah, so Hamilton's like, yeah, you know, I might have cheated on my wife, but I'm not an embezzler. That's the but I would never here. cheat on my country. <laughs> Basically, because that's what matters more to I'll him. I'll cheat on my wife with yeah, another woman, much. and I'll cheat on my wife emotionally with her sister, but I'm not going to cheat on the country. Yep. <laughs> Yikes. Ugh. Yeah. And so in the next song, titled Hurricane, Hamilton basically like thinks over his life, where he's come from, all that he's done. This is like a really... I feel like it's kind of weirdly placed. It's very reflective. Mm-hmm. It kind of, I don't know. I feel like it messes up the flow a little bit, but also it kind mm-hmm. of, I don't know. It looks cool. It looks cool. Yeah. Oh, it looks fantastic on stage. I don't know if I really like this song that much. I tend to skip right. over that song. I'll see the name of my I agree. cool setup. We're going to the next song, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really doesn't tell you anything new, honestly. It kind of repeats stuff. Like, from his introductory song, you know, when he was 17, a hurricane destroyed his hometown. And so he rose up from that mess and got to where he is now, which is, you know, he's educated, he's rich because he married well, part of this, like, major government. But he also kind of recognizes that he's made another mess that he has to get himself out of because he is confronted by this affair that he's had. And he's like, okay, well, (laughs) I guess I don't trust these guys with my uh, secret. So he decides to publicize his affair. He writes it all down includes the letters that were passed back and forth and this is a like historically this was a 95 page document oh okay this isn't like a newspaper article like this was a book oh 
This dude uh, wrote down every action they did. Uh, every detail. <laughs> Gross. And publishes it. And so this is just a really funny number. It's called the Reynolds pamphlet. But on stage, people like Jefferson are dancing around and they're like raining the flyers all over the stage. Yeah. And <laughs> they exclaim that he's never going to be president now. And even the king like is dancing around with them for no reason other than to just like look funny on stage, I guess. I really like this one. Yeah, they're pretty much just going all around saying like, have you read this? <laughs> Dang you. And I think... We in the the videos of like the behind the scenes with uh, MythBusters Adam, mm-hmm. they have like ninety something mm-hmm. of those pamphlets like on deck at all times. Yeah, sounds about right. It's pretty cool. And so this was actually one of the first political sex scandals in history. I hate that we have to say one of the first. Yeah, but that's not the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the many. Right. Uh, so, of course, this hurts his wife, mm-hmm. because why not? And Angelica comes to town, and Hamilton's like, oh, my God, you're here for me. And she's like, uh, no, I'm here for my sister. <laughs> Boy, bye. <laughs> so I think that's really great that she, like, comes to her sister's aid. But I also think, because the way they paint her in there is, like, she's also flirting with Hamilton. So, like, yeah, you're a bit up on your high horse there, Angelica. <laughs> but she hasn't done she anything. She hasn't done anything. She emotionally cheated with with him though come on let's True. be real but she like in this was always like yeah, as much as as, as much as i wanted i'm always gonna put my sister first so mm-hmm. maybe that was just her just indulging in a little bit but knowing she would never actually do, do go, the distance. go the distance yeah i don't know their dynamic is like still confusing like even through the entire show that's true very true so eliza's heartbroken she takes up center stage, and she's actually alone on stage. She doesn't have an ensemble or anything. And the orchestra itself is actually pretty limited here. And so it's just, like, her and her thoughts. And she sings about how she thought Hamilton was hers, right? Like, he built her up with these letters and this love. And then he ruined her. He shared their bed with someone else. He wrote letters with someone else. Like, how is that fair to her? And so this is such a poignant song. And it ends with her burning up the letters that Hamilton wrote for her. So she actually burns them on stage. And they are made of, like, a special paper that's meant to, mm-hmm. like, burn longer or last longer. And so this is a song, Burn, of course. And it even ends with a quote, I hope you burn. I hope that you burn. Oh, my gosh. It's a beautiful song. <laughs> and, yes. and it hurts, but it's beautiful. Right. It, like, True. hurts to listen to. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and actually, this action of hers is historically somewhat true so the letters that she and hamilton exchanged are now gone no one knows where they are they're just gone so we don't know if she destroyed them or if they just got lost over time but other letters that she wrote to like other people exist so hmm. 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 also in the subject of burning stuff uh, we learned that the prop team spent an entire day burning different types of paper to find the best one to burn on stage. Nice. Imagine that it's as a fun a job. job. Just getting paid <laughs> just to like... To burn stuff. Yeah. So, moving forward, we see Philip, more grown up, and he's graduated from King's College just like his dad. He finds legacy important just like his dad does. However, he learns that a George Ecker has been talking bad about his family. So he confronts him at the theater and convinces him to duel. He goes to duel Ecker, which Hamilton somehow supports and gives him the gun for, which is weird. Uh, the song is Blow Us All Away. Is it Ecker or Eker? 
Eager. Eager. I'll just go back and replace it with that one word over and over again. <laughs> George, eager. <laughs> Listen, do what I gotta do. Philip raises his arm to shoot away from Eager, just as his father recommended he do. Eager shoots at seven before the count actually gets to ten, Cheater. which big no-no. And this uh, critically injures Philip. His parents cry over him as he dies, and the song is Stay Alive, Reprise. So while he's dying, he also says that, I'm f- sorry for forgetting what you taught me, as if he somehow messed up the ten count, which, because earlier in the musical, uh, his mom Eliza taught him how to count to ten, and now she feels that somehow she failed at that when she finishes the count in French as he dies, which is, it was really moving on, like, to see it, and it was... Yeah, this always gives me just, like, chills. Like, I can't imagine, first off, what it would be like to, like, lose your child like that, but also just... Ugh! Yeah. Also, Hamilton gets in a lot more trouble because she, after he <laughs> says that, I'm sorry, I messed up, I forgot what you taught me, and she's like, wait, did you have something to do with this? And he's like, ah. <laughs> I only gave him the gun and told him to go, it's fine. I knew where he was going. I didn't even try to stop him. Yeah, (laughs) didn't go with him or anything. Just, like, let him... Whatever. Then we go to Angelica, and she sings. And Miranda Miranda has brought her story back around, and she narrated their beginning, and she narrates them now. So as Hamilton and Eliza mourn, which is a super heavy song, for sure, and they reconcile. So they do have to... They have to do the unimaginable, get over the tragic death of their first child. And the song is It's Quiet Uptown. And that one is really heartbreaking because, like, they don't know how to how to mourn this loss, especially since they're already, you know, so... Rocky. Rocky in their relationship. And then they finally decide that they need to come together to mourn this loss together and move on from there. And it's real sad, but healing... Yeah. Healing's rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, next up is the presidential election of 1800, which the song is titled The Election of 1800. Wow. Very, very uh, easy there. Uh, hmm. Jefferson and Burr are running against each other, and Burr actually takes the time to go around town and, like, actively campaign for himself. So I guess this is, like, the first time that was really a thing. And so he's, like, trying to convince all the guys to vote for him and I'll try to like flirt with their wives so they can convince their husbands to vote for him (laughs) because of course uh, only men can vote right Mm -hmm. patriarchy anyway anyway. Uh, so in the end the vote is down to Hamilton because everyone else has voted and Jefferson and Burr are like tied and so everyone's like Hamilton what do you choose and he kind of finally bursts out of his, his isolation that he's been in and he ends up supporting Jefferson because, as he says it, even though they don't get along on, like, anything, Jefferson has beliefs while Burr has none. Got him. <laughs> Got him. So this makes Jefferson the president. And in a funny moment, Burr actually brags about being the vice president now. Because that's... Back then it was whoever got the second... Word. Most votes became the vice president. Uh, and Jefferson's like, I can change that because I'm the president. And that actually eventually happened, but not at this moment. So Burr actually was historically his vice president for a while. Yeah, I just really like like the line that, that Hamilton gives out because it does bring back around what he's told Burr through the entire show mm-hmm. and their timeline together. Is like, you can't 
just bounce around. You have to have beliefs. You can't just float on the surface and hope for the best. And it's like finally biting Burr in the butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's never he's never <clears throat> lied or been dishonest to Burr. Like yeah. in any of their encounters, even though they've kind of butted heads. And it, it's nice because yeah, Hamilton just kind of stays a consistent throughout the entire show on that. Yeah. So. Very true. Nice. And so, of course, after this, the animosity between Hamilton and Burr grows because Burr is, like, super pissed off and he decides he doesn't want to put up with Hamilton anymore. And so Hamilton is like, okay, well, here's a list of things I don't like about you. <laughs> Let's go. And so this is a series of letters that they write back and forth to each other. And they actually, like, switch out the desk on stage. They, like, switch back and forth, which is really cool. And so this is the song, Your Obedient Servant, because they end their letters with Your Obedient Servant, and then their initials, A.Ham or A.Burr. The passive-aggressive post-its of that year. <laughs> yes. For sure. Very passive-aggressive. Uh, so Hamilton is finishing up his l- uh, letter late at night as Eliza tries to get him to go back to bed. And it's this moment, like, right before he's about to die. Not that he necessarily knows that, but he's, like, writing up his goodbyes just in case. That the two, like, finally connect. Uh, so, like, literally their music lines up. They sing together, like, the same pace and everything for the first time. And it's this, like, peaceful moment of connection. So this is the song, Best of Wives, Best of Women. And not only is that phrase, the title of the song, uh, was used in his final letter to his wife. But also both characters, or at least I saw, saw this somewhere online, both characters sing 36 words in this piece. And they were married for 36 years. Aww. Ah! That's cool. Got some wordsmithing from Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> I mean, the, the music and theater nerd did some cool music and theater stuff. Heck yeah! <laughs> I was impressed. So, Burr and Hamilton travel to New Jersey, because that's where the duels happen. Because everything's legal over there. And <laughs> everything's legal in Jersey. Uh, they go through the Ten Duel Commandments, and so it draws out a bit as Burr kind of laments about what brought them to this point, and he points out that, like, he sees Hamilton fiddling with his gun, and he's wearing his glasses, so he thinks that Hamilton's just, like, here, and he's serious, and he's gonna kill him, and so Burr's like, well, I'm gonna kill him back. I'm gonna kill him first. (laughs) And so they both line up, and they both fire, and then time freezes. And then we get this, like, it's kind of dizzy, because they're spinning around on that rotating stage during all this, and, like, the ensemble is dancing around between them but like hamilton spends this time in this like frozen moment reflecting over leaving behind a legacy and what that means and the fact that like i don't even know and so like a lot of people are dead right he's lost washington he's lost lawrence he's lost philip at this point he's lost his mother so he's like so like am i ready for death i guess so you know whatever (sighs) is my time is my time and you know he pretty much from the beginning of the show he's ready to die for his country so he's just like all right let's go (laughs) <laughs> and so Hamilton actually intentionally throws away his shot, which he said at the beginning he would never do. Whoa. Wow. So he raises his arm and throws a shot, but of course Burr thought he was serious, because it's a duel. And so Burr's shot hits Hamilton, kills him. Burr kind of has to like go into hiding, and he complains about that. While Hamilton dies, at least by, with Eliza and Angelica by his side, so he managed to get to them. But, you know. Burr has this moment where he realizes that he's the villain in the story now, which is not what he set out to be remembered as. And so this is a song, The World Was Wide Enough. 
And then, of course, our last song. The musical closes with a reflection of history and legacy. Uh, so the song, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. And so you get that cast of, you know, Washington, uh, Philip, and all, you know, other people that have died and they're on stage and they're like, joined us, Hamilton. This is how this is now. And then Eliza tells the rest of her story. So what she did with her, did with her life. So she, you know, worked with the soldiers after Hamilton died. She was part of getting the Washington Monument up and, you know, tells his story. And she opens the, f- the first orphanage in the area. So she takes care of children for a while. Orphans just like Hamilton was. And then eventually she seemingly dies and joins Hamilton. And they, like, hold hands and walk to the front of the stage. And it ends. Dun, dun, dun. And I cry. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the neighbor cries. <laughs> so. What you guys thinking? It's wild and fantastic and beautifully written. And song. It's fun. Slash rap. It's fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. For something so historic in nature, it was actually entertaining. And like we said earlier, not everything on it is correct. And a good majority of it isn't historically accurate, but... It's my favorite historical fanfiction. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It is, yeah. I do actually have some notes on the historical accuracy, because of course a lot of it is dramatic license. So like Angelica and Hamilton didn't really have that like affair relationship. Mm-hmm. Angelica was actually already married by the time she met Hamilton. And so there's that. Also, Burr and Hamilton had a lot less interaction in real life. So they weren't always at each other's, you know, heads like they are in this show. But of course, that's what makes it dramatic and fun to watch, right? Mm-hmm. There's some other little things, like it wasn't Jefferson, Madison, and Burr that approached Hamilton about the affair. It was some other guys. The Reynolds pamphlet was a lot more exaggerated in the show than it was in real life. In the duel between Philip and George Eaker, in real life, both men refused to shoot, so they were just, like, chickening out until eventually Eaker just, like, shot, and it just happened to hit Philip. <laughs> oh, oops. And Burr and Hamilton's final duel wasn't because of the results of the presidential election, but because of a letter that was published in the Albany Register. It was basically gossip. It claimed that Hamilton called Burr dangerous, and so Burr was like, uh, no. <laughs> I'll show you how <laughs> dangerous I am. So other fun facts that I have about this show. So all the lines about slavery are actually sung by Jefferson, because he was kind of unapologetic about actually having slaves back in the day. Yeah. More so than some of the other founding fathers. Yeah. Uh, costuming is really interesting in the show. So, like, one literal thing you do notice is that Hamilton's coat changes. So he starts off wearing a basic white coat, and then it gets nicer into this, like, you know, fancy green coat later on, and that shows his rise in status over time. So very nice. And of course, of course, we have to talk about Hamilton and Lawrence, who, if you... I mean, it's not as clear if you listen to it. There's some little hints here and there, but if you watch it, (laughs) it's definitely acted out a lot more. So, like, legitimately, historians wonder if they were lovers in secret. Um, And so Miranda gives us some of that, like, homoerotic subtext. (laughs) (laughs) There's, like, moments where Lawrence is, like, all up in Hamilton's face and they're really close. And I think there's a few lines where it's like, hmm, (laughs) well, we're, uh, you know. And I have a quote here from a letter that, like, actual Hamilton wrote to actual Lawrence. Dear Lawrence, it might be in my power, by action rather than words, to convince you that I love you. 
You should not have taken advantage of my sensibility to steal into my affections without my consent. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's... That's totally gay. <laughs> that's super gay. <laughs> so, I'm here for it. Um, oh, and, yeah. like, actual historians are here for it, so... Yeah. I'm sure if you go back in history, there's so, there's definitely a lot of people in power that were either bi or gay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. And there's just like there just wasn't a whole lot written about them because if you wrote about it, you <laughs> I'm going to hell. <laughs> going to jail, jail or prison or killed or whatever. So yep. Yeah. At this point, I'm not surprised. No, not at all. Yeah. So lots of lots of interesting facts there. Yeah. Any particular moments that stood out to you guys? I mean, I think I talked talked about mine along the way. But mostly our, our two reactors here. I liked a lot of the duels because they're very intense moments and there's just like a lot happening on stage mm-hmm. with somehow managing to keep everybody still. Like, during, yeah. like whenever they'd sh- shoot and it'd freeze up time. Like that was always really cool. And And I said earlier where like the set doesn't change, but they somehow managed to make it feel very different. Based on the scene, so. Right. Kylie? Kylie, tell us things. I really enjoyed most of the music. I really like how they incorporate, like, I want to say their own catchphrases throughout their different songs, but, like, mm-hmm. they're, you know, uh... Signatures? Yeah, let's go with signatures throughout different songs. And I also really just, like, Divi Dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout the whole thing, I'm like, he's good. He he's is. very good. He's fantastic. Well, does does anyone have an idea? Uh, so the very end, the last moment of the musical, Eliza looks out into the audience and she gasps. <laughs> does anyone have a theory on the meaning behind that? Well, I don't know if mine counts because I definitely read a lot of things. And it was like the main prevailing theory is that she sees the audience and sees how their story has been told and how it's still alive in modern day. Mm-hmm. Which I, I, I like I like that theory the most, I think. I do too. That's what I really resonate with. Because she spends a lot of time during the musical saying, you know, I'm putting myself in the narrative. I'm removing myself from the narrative. I'm putting myself back in the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and like most of Hamilton's songs are also with like your legacy and mm-hmm. what you'll be known for and, and kind of stuff, so... Yeah, I like the, like, breaking over the fourth wall a little bit. Right. Yeah. She sees her hard work and her, her husband's hard work. and Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned it, but there are a lot of different internet theories. No one has given a straight answer, or more so they've said that there isn't a straight answer. The way Miranda put it was that, like, each Eliza kind of puts their own spin on it, their own meaning behind it. Mm. So, I think that's really interesting, too, because, like, that shows that they're really becoming the character. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's good acting at that point because you really feel that gasp when you see it on stage because that's not in the song recording, right. so you don't know that until you watch it, and it's just this like powerful moment. I also like the thought that there's a a hidden character in the show and it's death. Mm-hmm. Because they're this per- this one specific person's like always around Hamilton, and they're the ones that are in the bu- in the duel carrying like the bullets and stuff. And I thought that was really cool. Yes, the actress Ariana Debose. She plays Death. Yes, she flirts with Philip right before he dies. Mm-hmm. She carries the 
bullets and a few different shootouts. Yeah. I didn't realize that. That's mm-hmm. cool. It was pretty neat. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I've seen on that online, and it's honestly fantastic. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like a project of passion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They put a lot of time and effort into it. And... Yeah, I mean, Miranda put years into this. I, I understand the hype behind it now. For I've sure. heard about it for so long, and I, I get it. We finally covered it, you guys. <laughs> the, the hype is real. <laughs> hype is real. All right, anyone have any closing comments about this fantastic show, other than you guys have to go watch it? You have to go watch and it. And listen to it through soundtrack. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on Disney+, Plus, I th- want to say it's right around the three-hour mark. Yeah. And it'll be one of the quickest three hours of your life, because it does not give... it. There are no breaks on this train. They give you a five-minute intermission. Okay, sorry. Was but it like, five minutes? Through the actual story. It was like a minute, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think we just paused it. So there are basically no breaks on this train. (laughs) But for the actual story, they do not slow down at all. Mm -hmm. It is constant. It's a wild ride, but an enjoyable one. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so if you have watched it, whether on Disney Plus or actually on stage, first off, I'm jealous. Right. Second, tell me what it's like, because it's got to be so different actually sitting in that auditorium watching it. Oh my gosh. So please tell us what it was like. Because <laughs> we are very jealous. We're super uh, glad and lucky that Disney decided to put it up on Disney+. Plus, Or else we probably wouldn't have been able to see it with mm-hmm. COVID and money. Uh, <laughs> it was actually coming through St. Louis. It was going to come through yeah. St. Louis uh, early next year. And we were going to attempt to scrape together our pennies and go. But now we don't have to. Slash don't have the option to. <laughs> I still would want to see it live. Yeah, I would oh, see it live for sure. Heck yeah. I would definitely see, see what a different it. cast would do with it. Mm-hmm. And also just you'd be able to see more of the little things on stage, I think. Yeah. Because the one thing about the recording was that the camera moved around. Mm-hmm. So it like closed up on people's faces or it was, you know, from overhead. And so like, I feel like there might be things on the periphery that you didn't catch in the recording that you would see sitting in the theater watching it. True. Okay. Well, I think that finishes up this fantastic episode of Save Me an Isle Seat. As always, thank you for listening to us again. We love doing this show, and we've finally gotten to cover Hamilton, which Amber's been begging for since we started. And I didn't rap. Amber didn't rap once. Very, very proud. She She did. I wanted to. She thought about it. But it would not have been good. (laughs) (laughs) copyright infringement (laughs) absolutely so yeah we we thank you guys for giving us a listen and we appreciate you supporting us through all of these episodes and our future episodes of course we love doing the storytelling part of this and and reviewing some of our favorite musicals this one definitely is in our top 10 for sure and if you have any helpful tips or comments of course you can always reach us at savemeanisleseat at gmail.com or you can tweet us at saveanisleseat on twitter I'm sure Amber would love to have some Hamilton discussions. Please chat with me. (laughs) Talk to me. (laughs) I'm cool, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Goodbye. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) And end after Amber's gas. I did a gas.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Save Me an Aisle Seat. You can find more episodes and shows similar to this at www.ragtagnetwork.com. Follow us on Twitter at Save an Aisle Seat. We make this show just for the fun of it, but if you would like to support what we do, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash save me an aisle seat. This episode was brought to you by the Ragtag Network.